This is a Federal News Network podcast. It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for feds in the know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. Today is Friday, October 21st, 2022. I'm Jason Breifel from Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Today, I'm joined by the team helping feds and many others hack their bureaucracies, Marina Nitsa and Nick Sinai. Marina and Nick co-authored a new book, Hack Your Bureaucracy, Get Things Done No Matter What Your Role on Any Team. This book helps employees from the front line to the top make real changes in their roles. Nick and Marina both played key roles in the federal government and are using this experience to help others make necessary changes. I've got to say that I've been absolutely blown away by the uh, embrace in the community for this book uh, across my own personal network. It's been uh, incredible to see many friends and colleagues uh, really digging in and sharing uh, the lessons that resonate with them. And so I'm super excited about our conversation today. Uh, I'm going to briefly introduce a little bit more about our guests before we bring them into the program. Marina is currently a partner at Layer Alpha, a crisis response firm that specializes in restoring complex software systems to service. She's also a fellow at New America's New Practice Lab, where she works on improving America's foster care system through the Resource Family Working Group and Child Welfare Playbook. Marina was most recently the Chief Technology Officer at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs under President Obama after serving as a Senior Advisor on Technology in the Obama White House and the first entrepreneur in residence at the U.S. Department of Education. Welcome to Fed Talk, Marina. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. And Nick Sinai is a venture capitalist, adjunct Harvard faculty, and a former Senior White House official in the Obama administration. As a senior advisor at Insight Partners, Nick serves on the board of Rebellion Defense, Hawkeye 360, Leo Labs, and Shift 5. He writes and teaches about technology and government and serves as a commissioner on the Atlantic Council's Commission on Remaking the U.S. Defense Innovation System. Recently, Nick co-founded the U.S. Digital Corps, a new two-year federal fellowship for early career technologists launched in the summer of 2021. Welcome to Fed Talk, Nick. Great to be here. Good to see you, Jason. Absolutely. And before we dive in, I want to remind our listeners that Fed Talk is sponsored by the Blue Cross Blue Shield FEP Dental. Members get fully covered in-network preventative care, including up to three covered cleanings per year, plus no deductibles for in-network services like fillings and root canals. Visit bcbsfepdental.com to learn more. So again, I have so many things that I want to talk to you about, Nick and Marina. Um, I'm really excited about this. As I noted, a lot of folks in the community are also really excited uh, and and uh, seem to be digging in. But I wanted to take a step back 
why, why did why did we need this book? Why did you decide to write this book? Um, and and Marina, you want to start us off on that one? Yeah. So Nick and I have been talking about this book really for 10 years. So I joined the federal government through the first class of presidential innovation fellows, uh, where I worked for Nick in the White House and for Richard Kulata at the Department of Ed. And I came into government uh, pretty cocksure and libertarian that the whole place was broken, that you should just blow the whole thing up, that nothing worked. And uh, I was going to prove that to myself. And what instead I did was prove to myself that I was completely wrong. And I was surrounded by people that were amazingly effective at making change at tremendous scale in the White House, at the Department of Ed, and then later at the VA. And so, uh, you know, we had a colleague, Kumar Gar and Tom Khalil, who literally kept bureaucracy hacking tactics on a, a dry erase board in the White House for us to refer to when we got stuck. Um, and we started keeping our own list. And then this all kind of really culminated for me one day, uh, years into being the chief technology officer of the VA, where... Uh, long story short, I was trying to connect one computer to another computer. And those of you who have completed ATO paperwork can probably feel the pain of it was taking a really long time. And this process actually took such a long time that I ended up in a cabinet meeting with President Obama, who was really disappointed in my progress and wanted to know like what he could do to help me because clearly I was not I was not doing the work well. Um, and I, you know, try to explain to him it's the ATO paperwork it needs me to prove I'm jiggling the doorknobs of the cloud like I just need more time to change the paperwork itself and he very helpfully offered um, to record a video that would tell the people that they had to accept my incomplete ATO paperwork uh, and I think as most of your audience members may appreciate like that wasn't exactly going to fly right so it really taught me in that moment like <laughs> oh my gosh the leader of the free world actually can't overcome this bureaucratic paperwork um, the only way through it is through it. Uh, and so we really wanted to share these lessons with others. The book is really meant as stories of hope. It's all stories of successfully making positive change in bureaucracies of all sizes. Love that, love yeah. that. Yeah, I, I also have the good fortune of, of teaching at the Harvard Kennedy School, uh, as well as, as, as counseling uh, current and, and, and former feds. And so I feel that, you know, I'm giving similar advice to 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 friends and to students and, and and to people coming out of government and so I wanted to put it all down and and uh, I mean that's one of the things we preach is actually writing it down uh, so that more people can have access to to uh, your ideas and so we wanted to do that and 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 hopefully this is you know version one this will be a, a living document and and folks will have have other other ideas and and, and so forth but we're really excited to get these stories of, of so many of our, our friends and colleagues and other people that we respect uh, and put it out there for the world. Thanks, Nick. And you you guys mentioned that you this has been a project long time in coming and it features a lot of stories from other folks. Like what was the process of, of collecting those, curating those, um, you know, in over that 10 year period? And then when it became time to make it real, to put it in the book. Is there any hesitance from those folks to show up in this? Uh, that's a great question. We had collected a, a long, long list of stories that we were basically sharing in a Google Doc for many years. And then when it came time to the book, um, all the lessons I had learned about clearance in government, I applied here. So nobody is mentioned in the book in any capacity without them having fully read the entire part, edited, you know, fact-checked, et cetera, because... Um, the thing I really did not want was to face someone down, you know, at a book launch party who was like, hey, I'm pretty angry with the way that you portrayed my story. Um, and not every story made it in for that reason. We wanted it to be a positive book. It's not a salacious tell-all. 
Um, hopefully that doesn't impact sales negatively to say that, but uh, it's all it's all stories of things that actually work to get things done. And so anybody that maybe had a tactic that um, they couldn't talk about publicly, we, we may find ways to share some of those stories in the future, but those aren't in the book. No, I like that. I, I think that that's a really important thing, uh, especially when, at least from the from my vantage point, it's it's hard for government leaders to talk about those lessons learned uh, because it it shows a sense of vulnerability and that they didn't have the answer up front. And and I like that that positive spin that you all have brought to this. Anything to add there, Nick? Uh, you know, I like to joke with Marina that's the story of of her successes and my failures. There's me getting thrown out of the uh, White House Science Fair. There's there's me uh, not getting clearance to to testify as an expert witness at uh in congress uh from the fcc when i when i uh helped provide some uh language for for a new bill and so there's some of the those hard learnings i think on both on both sides uh uh frankly so we we tried to bring some uh vulnerability to you know and look it starts with with marina uh, uh um getting called into a cabinet meeting and president obama just you know expressing uh <laughs> displeasure about the rate of progress at the VA. So uh, we really wanted to start with with some moments of, of vulnerability and 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 empower people uh, to say that, you know, look, this, this stuff isn't easy, uh, but it is possible and and uh, you can do it too. Yeah. And and I want to continue that thought after our first break and and specifically have you both explain what you mean and how you defer, define that term bureaucracy hacking. Uh, we're going to pick the conversation back up with Marina and Nick uh, after our first break. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. What makes good vision coverage? I knew it when I saw it. Things like fully covered vision care exams for all members. Access to over 125,000 independent eye care providers and national retailers. Plus benefits you can use at many online retailers. That's why I chose Blue Cross Blue Shield FEP Vision. And plans start as low as $12 a month. See what we can do for you at bcbsfepvision.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Uh, I'm here discussing bureaucracy hacking with Marina and Nick, and I wanted them to define this term for us because I think that these words mean a lot of things to a lot of people, which is part of where the power comes from. But I, I really liked the definition that you all included in the book. Uh, and as we go farther down in this conversation, Nick, I'm hoping you can just uh, ground us in what do you mean when you both say bureaucracy hacking? Yeah, we're, we're fundamentally talking about getting things done beyond the direct set of resources that you control. So I like to think of it as, as entrepreneurship inside of an organization. Um, and, and, you know, a hack can be a, a simple way or a technique uh, to get something done. But we also like the idea of a hack that is systemic as well. So maybe it's a way to get your project, your initiative, your policy, your product uh, further along towards launch, improved post-launch, uh, what, what have you, and whatever you're trying to do. And it could be you know, uh, trying to modernize a particular internal expense reform, or it could be the president president's signature policy initiative. But we're we're usually trying to get something done in an organization, public or private. I know these these listeners are are, are mostly about uh, public sector, and so we really like the, the the kinds of hacks where you're not only trying to get something done, but you're also thinking about the people who are coming after you. Um, 
and the, this question of like, well, what's a bureaucracy? Uh, you know, a lot of us uh, listening here, uh, and Marina and I worked worked in in one of the world's largest bureaucracies. You know, the federal executive branch. Uh, um, but really, a, a bureaucracy is an organization of any size that has some hierarchy, that has some officials, that is really trying to uh, have some some standardization of a of a process or an outcome. Uh, it usually has some subject matter uh, uh, experts and is trying to do things, you know, without without favor and 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 be fair in however it processes that that outcome. Uh, I think Marina has a good story of us trying to find things that were not bureaucracies. Yeah, in the course of the book, we tried to find a place that was not a bureaucracy. And this uh, hunt led us even to a co-op grocery store in Berkeley, California, where they didn't write the rules down, but they still had rules. So I think we really hope to change perspective that bureaucracy is not a four-letter word. It's a neutral word. We're all in it all the time, and we may as well learn how they work. No, I really, I really like that. And I think it's an important lesson for government to realize that at the end of the day, when you're talking about things like human behavior, how people deal with one another. And, you know, as I, I'm not done with the book, but I've started in, but the kind of some of my initial takeaways is like, these are really about what we call soft skills, what I like to call human skills. And, uh, and those apply in any kind of organization where you have more than a small group of people working together. And, and again, I think that there's real power in that lesson for, for anyone who picks this book up. Yeah, if we could summarize it in, in, in just a, a minute, it's really about trying to understand the organization that you're in, right? And then from there, you know, finding ways to, to, to make small progress, to, to, to build authentic allies and gain some momentum and then ultimately to try and make systemic changes by making kind of more progress with that that particular thing right and so uh i think we counter that or or, or juxtapose that against uh, uh the way government tends to do things sometimes which is hey we're going to have this big multi-year initiative and we're going to it's going to be a christmas tree all the ornaments are going to be on it and it's going to you know, we, we talk about in the book that there, there that this kind of multi-year uh, planning is, is is kind of the natural rhythm of a of a government agency or a bureaucracy, and that's okay. We can't we can't stop that. That's not going to to not happen. But in in that context, we have a an approach on on how you might be able to make some progress and and actually uh, also make some some systemic change as well. Yeah. No. I. On that point, Nick, I, I often feel like uh, strategy planning is the varsity team in government. Execution is is maybe JV if we've even put them on the field at all. And, you know, it seems like a lot of the bureaucracy hacking tactics and tricks that you all share are really about getting more people to focus on execution because it doesn't matter what that press release says if the citizen or the business or the customer on the other side of that equation isn't feeling the the benefits or whatever they were promised by by elected leaders and political leaders. The policy is the sexy stuff, and the actual uh, management operations administration is sometimes less sexy. I see this also at at the Kennedy School. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, everyday Americans don't care about the press release. They care about the actual experience, about the actual outcome. And that's true for 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 employees of the federal government too. Is you know their secretary can say one thing, but they have a lived employee experience too. Uh, and so we're just saying like, hey, 
you know, there's a big gap there between what the actual customer experience is, what the actual employee experience is. You know, let's let's help you get out of the office and try and figure out and understand what those are, um, and and make some progress on on execution. And you can you can have a a, a mighty press release or a, a policy goal or north star. And we're actually big fans of of of, of that kind of vision. Uh, Marina had a a great vision document at the VA that she used to build consensus on how to consolidate websites and 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 make it much more veteran-centric rather than, than VA-centric. I think classically, the VA, especially 10 years ago, was, was very focused on the VA uh, and, 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 and wasn't as good as being uh, veteran-centric. And thanks to Marina and so many of her, her colleagues, they, they helped change that. And now you see trust in, in the VA has gone up by at least 25 percentage points and consolidated thousands of websites into a single uh, much easier to use uh, uh, front door, um, and so you know this this can be done, but but you need to uh, um, focus on the actual execution and and the lived experience of your customers and, and your employees. Um, no, I I really like that. And Nick, you mentioned a couple of the the tactics that uh, that you include, like getting out of your office and talking to folks um walking a mile in their shoes is I, i'd like each of you to share uh you know is there a favorite tactic or trick that, that you'd like to share here today that's in the book yeah so uh my favorite is definitely look between the silos um this tactic works especially well in government or in large private corporations uh and how it works is basically the the older a process is the larger the organization gets the more there are siloed steps and the siloed step or team tends to have tremendous defensive antibodies. They don't want to change. They're going to be uh, reticent to change, reticent to let you in. But the handoffs between the steps tend to be completely undefended territory where you can deploy a lot of change. And so the way that you find them is you whatever your mission is, if it's claims, uh, contacts, cases, whatever applications, follow it from start to finish. And I mean follow it. If it goes through a fax machine, you show up on the other side of the fax machine. If it goes to the mail room, you show up in the mail room. And you're going to see tremendous breaks and opportunities for more efficiencies at these handoff points. Um, one of my favorite stories, I was helping a state try to streamline its foster parent application process. And this is important because while families are waiting hundreds of days trying to navigate this Byzantine paperwork process, kids are sleeping in office lobbies or living in group homes with like horrific outcomes. So getting this timeline you know, you don't literally want it to be one day, but you want it to not be 280 days. And so I'm following a real application from start to finish. And at a certain point, I get to the step where the caseworker is requesting the applicant's driving record from the DMV. And she pulls out a carbon copy paper, you know, the kind where you press really hard and it goes through three different colors. And she's complaining to me this whole time. Oh, my God, the DMV, they live in the 19th century. Why do they still use this carbon copy paper? This is awful. It adds 30 days to the process. I don't even have a stamp. Where do I get an envelope? Like, this sucks. And so I did what this woman was not empowered to do, which is I wandered over to the DMV uh, and politely talked my way into the building and had someone show me how they processed the requests. And the woman at the DMV is pulling up an electronic system and is like, oh, they get emailed in here. And then I process them same day. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, where does the carbon copy paper come in? And she's like, oh, my God, you were at child welfare. Those people live in the 19th century. They keep sending me this carbon copy paper. What is up with them? Why don't they email me like everybody else? And so in about an hour, right, I was able to go back, 
take this horrible step off everybody's plate that nobody actually wanted to do and shave 32 days off this very long process, which is not nothing. Um, and I found those opportunities all the time at the VA. I continue to find them all the time in my day-to-day -day work. And it's something that just about anybody can do, um, whether you're a GS1 or you're a SES, you can follow a process from start to finish and start identifying where the handoff uh, opportunities are for making the improvements that you want to make. I love that story. And just having one person who can bridge that divide is is so powerful because folks were just captured by something that no one wanted to continue. Nick, do you have a favorite tactic from the Ooh. book? I tend to answer this question differently when we get interviewed about the, the book, which so favorite is, is a tough one, but uh, uh, I really like create people flow. Um, and so in, in any organization, there's this question of what's the rate of change of people and how do you bring in uh, new energy, new skills, new, new perspectives while respecting uh, the expertise and, and, and kind of the way things are done. And so it is, it is that combination uh, that I think can be really powerful. So uh, I was privileged to be at the, the uh, start of the Presidential Innovation Fellows Program, along with uh, Todd Park, who is the US CTO, uh, John Farmer, Arianne Gallagher, and, and, and many others. Uh, we, we started and, and ran uh, um, a program to bring talented entrepreneurs and technologists into government for initially it was it was six months, but then it ended up uh, being a year long or longer uh, kind of tenure and pair them with talented uh, civil servants who were innovators and leaders in their own right. And really it was that combination of the two that that was so powerful. Um, and and some of them have, have stuck around and, and gone on to senior roles like Marina who became the CTO of the VA. Um, the current uh, CTO of the VA, Charles Worthington is a former presidential innovation fellow. Um, as is the the current U.S. Chief Data Scientist uh, Denise Ross, but you but you also uh, um, uh, had people go back out into industry and other roles. And so I love this idea of how do you how do you kind of uh, bring some new some new energy and new perspectives into an organization. More recently, I've, I've been working on this this topic at at an earlier part of the career uh, with the U.S. Digital Corps. So this is a, a two-year uh, federal fellowship that's run out of uh, GSA, actually similar to the Presidential Innovation Fellow Program. And we now have 13 federal agencies um, that are hosting US Digital Core Fellows uh, in product, in software engineering, in design, uh, analytics, and cybersecurity. And uh, I'm, I'm just really bullish about uh, a way to have an early career uh, um, entry into federal service uh, for, for talented uh, technologists. But you know the, the flip side to creating people flow is also finding opportunities for people to temporarily leave your organization, um, and I think that that can be uh, especially when you, when when we have a, a civil service who's spending a, a a good part of their career sometimes uh, in civil service, finding ways to ha have uh, externships or or sabbaticals or other opportunities to go uh, um, get some new perspectives and skills. So Insight Partners, the venture capital firm uh, that, I, that I'm part of, uh, we host the Defense Ventures Fellows. And, and we have active duty service members who come spend six weeks with us, uh, in bed with us, and then they go back after that uh, to their particular military service and bring some, some knowledge about the innovation economy. So I, I think those kinds of, of people flow techniques, both in and out, can be really powerful. Awesome. No, I, I really like both of those. And I want to pick up on the people flow in the second half of the conversation as we kind of expand the aperture and talk about like, how do we 
do more of this at scale. But before that and before our next break, uh, just remind me, like, how many of these tactics uh, are in the book? And, and I also know that you have a website where uh, additional information is starting to get populated, some other stories that didn't make it into the book and some future resources, uh, just to give folks a sense of like the resource that's available for them um, packed into this book. Yeah, so the book has 56 tactics. Each one is a chapter, but they're kind of short chapters, which we did on purpose. The idea being, we hope that when you're feeling stuck, you can literally pick up the appendix, scan through the list of tactics and get some inspiration. Not going to lie, I actually do that in my own work. <laughs> so it's, self, it's self-referenced. Uh, we have a website at hackyourbureaucracy.com. Uh, and something that we're really enjoying doing is telling the more multidimensional bureaucracy hacking stories. So the ones that use lots of tactics altogether, those were harder to fit into the book with all the small chapters, but are really fun to tell now that um, the book is out in the wild. Awesome. No, I, I love that. And it's a, I'm a, I'm like a mental models kind of person. So having a suite of things to pull from and, and pull those arrows out of the quiver in the appropriate situations, I think can be really handy for, for anyone trying to get stuff done um, in an organization. Uh, we have to stop here for our second break. Uh, we're going to continue our discussion after a word from our sponsors. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Looking for more ways to stay informed on federal news? Every Tuesday, the Fed Manager Newsletter delivers completely free, straightforward news to the federal community. The Fed Manager Newsletter features top news stories affecting the federal workforce, legislative updates impacting pay and benefits, understandable summaries of court decisions written by leading federal employment attorneys, and columns from across the federal community. Subscribe today at FedManager.com. Brought to you by the law firm of Shaw, Bransford & Roth, serving the federal community for 40 years. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. One team working all three branches. Judicial, legislative, executive. Judicial. SB&R employment attorneys offer specialized legal representation for federal managers. Legislative. Lobbyists in government and public affairs advocating for corporate clients. Executive. Produces two free weekly newsletters, Fed Manager and Fed Agent. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth is your one destination for all three branches of government. Online at shawbransford.com. SB&R. Client-focused. Results-driven. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We're entering the second half of our show with the authors of Hack Your Bureaucracy. Uh, and in this, this segment of the show, I want to kind of pivot from uh, tactics and strategies for individuals to kind of starting to pivot that out to the organizational lens. And, and how do we actually change a bureaucracy? And, and I think that's the question that I want to start with. You know, is it possible? to change a bureaucracy? Uh, it's absolutely possible. And I think we could look at the VA as one pretty impressive example from where it was when I started there in 2013. By no means, thanks to me, thanks to hundreds and thousands of amazing, dedicated civil servants, uh, contractors, and veterans. Um, I mean, veteran trust has gone up 25%. The VA has won two SAMIs, which wasn't even on my vision board in 2013, I'll be honest. Uh, is it fixed? you know, and completely done, by all means, no. Uh, there's still there's still opportunity there. But um, that's a tremendous amount of change at a really, really challenging bureaucracy. I think we'd also point out that bureaucracies actually change all the time. And that's one of the core lessons we hope to get across in the book. 
um, they're always having new strategic plans. Your performance plan is updated. Your pay scales are changed. There's constant change going on all the time. And really what you want to do is identify the rhythms of your particular bureaucracy and then kind of hitch your boat to those rhythms so that you can get the changes that you want um, over the finish line. Nick, anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I, I love this idea of bureaucracies as these living organisms. And, and it, uh, some things change slowly, some things change quickly. It could be a crisis, it could be a leadership change, uh, um, but there, there, there is change to, to them. Um, and we also have to remember that, that uh, the continuity or the stability is a feature, not a bug. That okay. is for, okay. for the employees, for the customers or beneficiaries or, or, or uh, stakeholders. Uh, however imperfect a particular process is, however paper-based a particular process is, the fact of the matter is that people know it and they have been able to sort of figure it out. Maybe it's with the help of, of outside organizations. You know, the VA has a healthy set of uh, veterans organizations. But at the end of the day, there is there's a set of processes, there's a set of rules, there's a way that things are, are done. And yet, uh, we're clearly not going to be meeting all of our customer needs and, and, and employee needs are changing. And the reason they're changing is, is because, uh, well, technology is changing, our you know, society is changing. And so there's a bunch of, of, of kind of natural change. And so the trick is for any organization is to figure out how do you put in place the kind of learning mechanisms to, to actually do experiments and try and, and, and change processes, change rules, change leadership uh, and we're just uh, we're just advocates of trying to understand kind of what is that rate of change how does that work what does the real org chart look like and and in that context trying to insert your ideas for change because nothing is going to stay the same forever uh, it's it's about picking your battles and and finding finding that that moment and if you haven't done your homework if you haven't really kind of built authentic relationships with with people, if you haven't socialized your ideas and you're just trying to insert it in that one that one moment of change, uh, it has a, a far less likelihood chance of, of, of actually sticking. Well, I like I like both of your responses and I'll, I'll kind of come back at you with a word I'm not sure that's been brought up yet. Culture. Maybe what I was really asking about, is it possible to change bureaucratic culture? And how do these tactics and the mindset that goes behind the tactics of leaders that use these strategies. How does that play into pivoting the culture of a bureaucracy? So I remember culture change came up so much when we were working on the My VA transformation at the VA. And it came up so much when we were standing up the U.S. Digital Service. And the thing that I've seen work, honestly, the only thing that I've seen work is like delivery is the strategy. You have to actually be the change, make the space for the change, as Nick is saying, like deeply understand the conditions for change and meet them. Um, I, I have not seen, you know, it, it's nice to get together and have a party, but the rallies or the PowerPoints, like don't, don't get the culture change over the finish line. You have to, uh, not to be cliche, but you have to be the change you want to see in the world. And you have to set up the incentives. So, so ultimately bureaucracies are made up of humans, but they are made up of humans that have risks and incentives. And I don't mean for this to sound overly manipulative, but like you really have to understand why are people making the decisions they are and how might you change those? And you may be surprised at how easy some of those are to change. Changing a performance description or a performance plan is actually not uh, impossibly difficult in the federal government, right? And if you need people to you know, approve your cloud computing ATO paperwork, for example, 
Um, they're not going to fill out a half filled out form. They're not going to fill out one where you wrote like not applicable in half the boxes, but you could change the paperwork itself. That might actually not be as difficult as you think um, so that you make it completing the form accurately is their goal, right? And you just need, just need, sorry, I shouldn't say just, uh, you need to change the paperwork itself to change the incentive structure for the organization. I'm a big fan of culture, but I'm not a big fan of culture change initiatives. If that makes any sense. So um, I, I think culture is is what actually happens, uh, not only what leaders uh, say, but what leaders do. Um, and and so just to give you an example, you can you can talk about transparency, but then you can actually have transparency about what everybody is working on, what what isn't isn't meeting meeting certain. Uh, objectives and key results, et cetera. And so I think that internal level of, of transparency can be really empowering, um, but then you can also just get up there and talk about how you want to have more transparency and that that may or may not resonate. Uh, and so act, actions, not just from the leaders, but <clears throat> from from everybody, I think is what what build, builds culture. No, and, and Nick, your your comment that you don't like culture change initiatives, I want to dig into that more because, you know, frankly, the federal government does a horrible job developing, selecting leaders, the people who have the responsibility to create that culture and to shepherd it. You know, often we, and this is not a government unique problem, industry has this issue as well, to promote technical experts, someone who can do their job you know, at some point in time, they're moving up, they become a supervisor, whether or not they're inclined to that, they have some of that, those human skills, whether it's the emotional intelligence, the ability to understand what matters to their different colleagues based on, you know, their situation and their performance incentives and other constraints in their lives. Um, but, uh, you know, have you, have you seen any good examples or if not, you know, is that uh, an area that needs some, some attention and, and development? Like how, how do we train folks? How do we build these skills uh, at scale in an intentional way um, and ensure that especially public sector leaders uh, who have to work with lots of stakeholders, more stakeholders than in any other sector uh, really need to be successful? Yeah, I, I completely agree that that we need to up our game on how we select, uh, how we how we train, how we how we uh, empower uh, the next generation of managers and public sector leaders. Um, generally speaking, uh, I think the the military does it a, a bit better, or at least they invest more in professional development uh, when you're in uniform, as opposed to the military on the on the on the um, civilian side doesn't do it as well, uh, frankly. Uh, um, and I think the, 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 on the federal civilian side, we could invest more in, in uh, training and leadership development. And, and look, we have SES programs and we have other kind of leadership programs, but I'm not sure that we're, we're necessarily teaching the right things in those programs. Uh, are we really teaching enough about uh, innovation and entrepreneurship um, and, and uh, you know, teaching EQ is hard because those are the kinds of things that uh, you really ought to experience. And, and when you have a great manager earlier in your, in your career and you're able to model off of that person and, and understand how they give feedback, how they set goals, 
how they listen, uh, which is, is just a total superpower, right? I mean, I had the chance to work for uh, Anisha Chopra, Todd Park, and Megan Smith, three amazing uh, charismatic leaders as, as CTOs under President Obama. Uh, just to, to pick on Todd for a second, one of his superpowers was just this incredible listening. Um, and I think that's that's one thing that that is is something that I, I always struggle with as a manager or as a as a leader is is how do you truly listen and not just wait to talk? Yeah, no, I I love that, Marina. Anything to add? Yeah, there's so much there to unpack. I mean, I think it's really a complicated strategy problem on the topic of technical leaders ultimately becoming managers of people. I think that's absolutely a challenge that's in and outside of government. And I wonder if inside government we could uh, tackle it a little more with things like SL roles, like maybe not everybody has to go into a management role. Maybe we can make more space and headcount for technical experts that are more of independent contributors. Um, I also think, so we have a tactic in the book that's try the normal way first. And this was really inspired by a lot of work we did early in the US digital service around hiring. Um, we had as a pilot, some of the world's best technologists apply for roles um, to see if they could get through. And none of them even made it to the slate. And we were like, okay, why? Uh, and we had to demonstrate that first because just complaining that best that great technologists couldn't get through the slate wasn't going to work, right? So we had to demonstrate that they weren't. We demonstrated that they weren't. And then it became, well, the people that are determining the slate are very dedicated, trying very hard HR representatives, but they don't have the technical skills to understand the technical roles and responsibilities that you may need. And there was a widespread belief in government that uh, only the HR individuals could review the resumes. And we tried We were like, okay, but where does that come from? We did the understand why tactic. And it turns out that was never a rule in the first place. That was a water cooler rule that was not in place. And we flipped that on its head and said, okay, now technologists are going to do the resume review for other technologists. And when we did that, now we were able to actually get people through the hiring pipeline. So from that same angle, I'd say that the skills that we want to hire for in government, you need to be really thoughtful about what are the hiring questions? What is the hiring process? What is the filtering process to try to get those people in? And then what's their performance plan? What's their position description to make sure that they're delivering on the things that you expect them to? Well, and I'm wondering if there are any lessons from the Presidential Innovation Fellows, 18F, the newer assessment process that's behind these U.S. Digital Core folks that might be able to be expanded or, or scaled because, you know, in, in some regard, it's you know, you got to balance that that technical skill versus the kind of aptitude to go somewhere else beyond that, whatever that first job you're being hired for. Uh, does anything jump out of like, you know, there's something really good there that we should be applying to other kinds of roles or positions? I'm really thinking of like, how do we uh, how do we do more of this in the government and apply it to more than technology focused jobs? Well, I think there's a few things here. One is can you hire relatively quickly? One of the things that that a number of these programs, uh, USDS, 18F, PIF, et cetera, have focused on is how quickly can you hire? Uh, because when you are when you're competing against industry and private sector roles, you have to move with with sufficient speed. So we're not going to be able to offer someone a job in in two weeks, uh, but it shouldn't take a year to hire someone into into federal service. Um, and so we should be thinking about you know how do you uh, uh, objectively 
look at folks and make a decision and, and, and be able to communicate that decision relatively quickly before they wander away to another uh, great opportunity. Um, so that would be one piece. I do think Marina's bit about how do you how do you bring the relevant subject matter experts in uh, SMEQA, uh, since we're talking to a federal uh, audience here, uh, you know, subject matter expertise uh, um, who are able to to weigh in. And I think we can actually get meta here and think about how do we how can we do uh, um, the kind of uh, um, uh, initiatives that we did in technology in HR. That is, how can we bring in folks from uh, um, other leading organizations, public and private, into our HR capacity and, and think about how can we kind of reimagine the role of, of, of HR. There's a lot of talented HR professionals in the federal government, but I think we could also use some, some newfound energy to rethink the rules within the constraints that we've got statutorily. Yeah, I, I agree, Nick, and I wanna put a, a, a pin in that meta idea uh, so that we can take our uh, third and final break, and we'll we'll pick that thread up uh, after a word from our sponsors, and and continue and conclude our discussion. Uh, you're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. What makes good vision coverage? I knew it when I saw it. Things like fully covered vision care exams for all members, access to over 125,000 independent eye care providers and national retailers plus benefits you can use at many online retailers. That's why I chose Blue Cross Blue Shield FEP Vision. And plans start as low as $12 a month. See what we can do for you at bcbsfepvision.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We're entering our last segment of the show, talking about hacking your bureaucracy. So let's dive right in. Uh, before the break, uh, we were talking about uh, the need to apply some of the uh, changes and modernization that we've seen uh, coming from the civic tech lens uh, and, and these technologists coming into government to some other spaces. Uh, and, and Nick mentioned specifically the, the human resources realm. I think this is really critical uh, because it's the foundation of these are people who work for organizations. How are we uh, tending to them? Uh, how are we supporting uh, management and the organization writ large in achieving its goals through people? Um, but but at the flip side is, this has often been an area that hasn't received nearly as much attention uh, or focus. You know, to my knowledge, there's not an official responsible anywhere in government for the human capital or human resources workforce as there are for the acquisition workforce, for example, where there's a, an executive at OMB, Jenny Newhart, who does that. Uh, so just kind of curious, uh, your reactions to that, that premise or just putting some more meat on those bones. I love this idea, Jason, um, that that we ought to uh, um, focus on this particular workforce. Uh, I know we have uh, a council of, of HR uh, chiefs across the federal government, but it really is, you know, how can we cultivate the next generation? How can we bring modern technologies and practices to them? How can we celebrate them as they modernize their processes? Uh, because they ultimately are the ones who are, are, are gonna help us attract, recruit, and maintain uh, the next generation of, of great federal uh, civil servants. Yeah, we have this concept in the book, I mean, we didn't invent it, called Strangle the Mainframe, which is sort of a different way of thinking about how to eat an elephant, which is one bite at a time. 
And this probably feels like a really overwhelming problem to perhaps many people listening, but I think there's a lot of concrete first steps you could do in terms of pilots, in terms of reviewing performance descriptions and plans. Uh, maybe we could have like a HR um, academy like we did with digital acquisition talent where they could learn uh, practices and get some recognition and maybe, you know, a, a lunch in the White House mess uh, in exchange for going, which was a, a big reward or get a step grade promotion for completing it. You know, there are different incentives I think we could deploy here uh, in a, you know, multiple year time frame, but not a decade long time frame. Yeah. And I, I think that the notion of this is a specific workforce that matters and, and needs our attention uh, is is an important conversation to elevate. As you said, there's there's more things to say. Uh, wearing another one of my hats, I wrote a, helped contribute to a over 130 page report on modernizing the federal human capital management ecosystem. And there are so many things. Um, but but at the end of the day, it, it comes back to, as we mentioned earlier, kind of this disconnect between policy and, and execution. And we have a lot of different workforce initiatives going on across the government, but without uh, coming down to center in my mind on, you know, how do we really make this happen? It's, it's, it's the human capital systems. It's the folks driving those systems. And uh, they need more help. They need more attention um, so that they can... Uh, transform in other ways that we're seeing different um, kind of functional areas and, and leaders change. Um, and, you know, kind of one part of this that I think is really important is like the training and education piece. Uh, and I know Nick with at the Kennedy School, uh, you had a class with some some undergraduates, and I'm, I'm kind of curious about the experience you had with those students. Um, and, you know, lessons that came out of that, as we think about how do we how do you uh, how do you give people the opportunity to build these skills and experiences earlier in their careers so that they can carry some of this going forward? Yeah, so uh, thanks for the question, Jason. We I, I uh, designed and and taught a class called Tech and Innovation in Government, um, and it was actually at the Harvard Kennedy School. But we did have some undergraduates who cross registered, and a few of their stories are are in the book. And, and the class was designed to, to essentially take a team of students, um, uh, say four or five students, and work closely with a government client. It could be the VA, we did one with CMS, with Treasury, uh, with Census, uh, but also with local government. The city of Boston was a, was a, a favorite client of mine as well. And, and the idea is the students would get out into the field, into the Boston community, and really practice human-centered design, user-centered design, and and listen to what the veteran you know what the boston city resident what the prospective uh, um census uh, um, uh taker you know wh whoever that particular person was uh, uh to understand their their experiences and from that um, um, build uh, journey maps and personas and the kind of design artifacts so you actually try and understand uh, um, the lived experience and then with a little bit of context about the technology and the environment and the agencies is to, to do some very rough, lightweight prototyping, almost paper prototyping, and then some usability testing where you and, and user testing where you take that kind of stuff and you put it back in front of those veterans or Boston City residents uh, and get their get their reactions to it. So you it's essentially an introduction to product management. Uh, and just as an aside, I think we have too much project management in federal government and not enough product management. Uh, fundamentally, a lot of our services are our products, and we need to bring modern pro uh, 
product management discipline to them. And so teaching uh, um, design and product management, and then ultimately that would culminate in, in a demo day where the students would be able to talk about changes they would make, which is a fancy way of saying policy. Um, and, but it was informed by their, their, their experience in the field and their experience prototy prototyping and getting feedback from those prototypes. Uh, and they need not be digital prototypes. It could be a change in a process or, or something else too. So uh, that, that class was, was great fun, but it was also real world experience for these students. Uh, one team worked with the VA and actually helped research and prototype very early versions uh, for the new native mobile app for the VA. And now that's a very successful initiative uh, uh, with the current CTO of the VA, Charles Worthington. Uh, it's 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 got like 4.8 stars. It, you know, hundreds and thousands of, of, of veterans have have downloaded and used it. Um, and so th that's a, it's a good example of students can can learn by doing. Uh, they can learn design and product management and and prototyping and 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 testing. Uh, and I think those are also things that that senior executives can learn too. I don't don't think that is is just an early career set of of, of, of things. I mean, I, I think senior executives should be taking those same kinds of classes inside of whether it's 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 SES training or whether it's a part of of something that the that their agency does. Uh, but I think that is a valuable set set of skills because it gets back to this question of how are we actually executing our our policies, how are we executing uh, what we've set out to do? Yeah, thanks for that, Nick. Uh, I agree that sometimes in my experience with senior executives, uh, they can be disconnected from where the work really happens because they're focused on that strategic or that policy level. And so, you know, uh, getting a little dirty can be really powerful. Marina, I'm kind of curious in your experience at the VA as the CTO, if if you did some of the things that Nick mentioned he did with the students as you were bringing along other colleagues or educating them about what you and your team were up to. Yeah, absolutely. So I have kind of two thoughts on training. One is, as Nick mentioned, there's a lot of opportunity if you can do an afternoon of a design thinking class, an afternoon of a usability class. Um, undercover boss, frankly, is like the best possible training, possibly without the the costumes. You know, can if you have the secretary of your agency, and we absolutely had this with Secretary Bob, um, sit down and process a claim or sit down and like help an actual veteran file their disability claim, like that is a game changer in terms of understanding that end user experience. And it doesn't require years of training. Um, some of the best ones have years of training and experience, but you can get pretty far in some number of hours of training. But sort of a pet peeve of mine in government of all sizes and training is a belief that, you know, oh, you could do this in an hour or two, and that's going to be enough. And I think that we really have to look at that when we want to say what core parts of our workforce are we going to need to change. IT would be an example here. Um, nothing makes me more prickly than when someone is like, oh, we'll get, you know, this agency to the cloud. We'll just give everybody an, a Saturday. I don't want to name a vendor, but, you know, like a cloud computing certification on a Saturday and then they'll be good to go. If you're a GS 15 step 10 who spent 30 years maintaining like this server room, you have tremendous pride in it. You know, the, you know, nuances of the command line of those boxes or whatever, that is not going to happen that uh, you're going to take a Saturday morning certification course and now change the course of your career. You're suggesting that people with 30 year careers that they are proud of become GS ones overnight. And I think we really need to think through that a lot more thoughtfully because that's an incentive that none of us would sign up for in our own jobs. 
Yeah, and I that kind of quandary, uh, Marina, is really interesting. I I asked this question: is like, can the bureaucracy save itself from itself? And in my mind, like training and education, that's not just for training education, but is designed to get at that culture lens and uh, pivoting kind of the mindset and behaviors of people inside the organization to be more focused on that delivery and execution, that customer uh, or user experience is part of that key. Um, what haven't we covered that you want to say um, or that you wanted to tie a bow on uh, through our conversation today? And, and maybe we'll start with Marina. Absolutely. So I guess tying a bow on it, something that we've really learned is that bureaucracies respond to incentives. And one way you can, uh, you're not going to get rid of bureaucracy, but you can make it a lot less painful. If whatever project you're working on, it has KPIs, it has goals that are measurable, right? And it has a product owner who understands the whole end-to-end -end process. And I think those are the two things I see government missing the most and are not easy, but some of the two easier solutions to make really transformational change. Uh, and good luck to all the bureaucracy hackers out there. Thanks, Marina. Nick? In the book, we talk about cultivating your caress. Uh, caress is a term in Kurt Vonnegut's uh, Cat's Cradle. Uh, he talks about uh, uh, God's will, putting putting people uh, on this uh, globe to um, kind of an informal group of people to, to get something done. Uh, we kind of chose the secular adaptation of that. And so we like to think of this as, you know, there are people uh, um, across your organization, across your agency, uh, uh, who are there to help. And you just may not have uh, uh, found them. You may not have, have have kind of gotten to know them. And they may exist outside of your particular guild or function. And so um, we're all about, you know, how can you cultivate your caress by, by getting to know people outside of uh, your particular narrow group, uh, um, really understand where they're coming from, uh, uh, understand their lived experience, and together, I think you can you can go accomplish uh, great things and and change the bureaucracy for the better. I really wish that we had several more hours to to hang out with one another, but unfortunately, we, we don't. I want to thank our guests, uh, Nick Sinai and Marina Nitza, the authors of Hack Your Bureaucracy, for joining us today. This has been a fabulous conversation. You can go to hackyourbureaucracy.com to find out where to buy the book. Uh, thank you all for listening. Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a wonderful day. Mm -hmm.